One of the fundamentals of truth that we encounter early on in our quest is the statement, everything works for good. Sometime in your life you may have been confronted with such a statement at a time when you weren't too familiar with the context. You might have thought, while facing some very difficult experience or even some tragedy, what kind of a wacky thought is that? Everything works for good? What's good in this? So at first it seems to be an extremely Pollyanna attitude, terribly naive, even irritating. And we're often told by the truth student, if you're feeling doubtful, unhappy, or concerned about something, if things are not going well, hold firmly to the thought, everything is working for good. It's hard to do at first, isn't it? But in time we come to realize that it is not Pollyanna at all. That it is an expression, a recognition that you are an expression of the activity of God. And as Jesus said, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All the time. It's the divine will to resolve all difficulties into harmony all the time. Even when you're bogged down in seeming limitation. There's an inexorable force for good underlying your experience, always. So you begin to affirm everything is working for good, but not to make it so, but rather to step out of the darkness into the light of oneness with what we call the divine flow. Is to get yourself in tune with the truth that behind the appearance there's a transcendent level, a divine will, that is always seeking to transpose any dissonance into harmony. This is a very subtle aspect of life, but very important to know. As an example, let's look at the story of the Israelites in the Bible in their journey from Egypt to their promised land. But first of all, did you know that the ancient Chinese compass from which all modern systems of navigation have evolved originally had five points instead of four? North, south, east, and west, and the fifth one, where you are. It seems strange at first, but when you stop and think about it, it's amazingly logical. Because if you don't know where you are, it's not very helpful to know the points of the compass. <laughs> it's good to keep that in mind concerning a lot of things in life. So to find your way in the study of the Bible, or the study of fundamental truth, we must know where we are and commence at that point. Otherwise, we will forever be on the outside looking in. So you see, the Bible only makes sense when we begin where we are and see it in a personally symbolic sense. So the Israelites, representing the human thoughts within us all, were being led by Moses, representing the ascending urge to the land of promise signifying happiness and peace, freedom from want and sickness, the promise of a new and wonderful life. It seemed a simple matter for the Israelites to cover the 200 miles from Egypt to Palestine in a short time. And they did arrive at the border after a very small journey. But after sending some spies on a reconnaissance into the land, reconnaissance, they felt totally insufficient to enter in and possess the land. And the spies came back and reported there are giants in the land, and we are in their sight and in ours as grasshoppers. 
In other words, it was all there for the taking, but they didn't have the consciousness to enter in. And when you find yourself on the verge of success, but it just isn't working out for you, you may feel like a failure. But are you really a failure? You still want to succeed. You still desire healing. You still have a hope that you overcome your limitations. And your desire is the prophecy of what you can become. So with the perspective of what we're calling creative serendipity, you have faith that things will work for good. Now, in the story, the Israelites languished in the wilderness for 40 years. We may have had the vision of the Israelites wandering around, not knowing where they were, 40 years trying to find the Promised Land. It wasn't true. They knew where the Promised Land was. But they were trying to get themselves centered. In the perspective of Jewish history, this 40-year period was one of the most significant periods. When they left Egypt, they were a primitive band without ideals, without any sense of nationality, without a meaningful religion. In this 40-year period in their wilderness schoolroom, they developed laws, culture, self-sufficiency. They became a cohesive body with a culture and character of their own. It was a long way around to their destination. But serendipitously, it was the only way for them. For had they gone straight into their land of promise, they would have been destroyed. So for them, the straight line was not the shortest distance between two points. You see, it's important to know that progress is not always a straight line going upward. It would look more like a graph of a stock market performance, ups and downs, ups and downs. The need is to exercise the discipline to be patient with yourself. You're not a machine. There will always be periods of varying energy. So the successful person is not one who has no failures, but one who is not defeated by failure. He picks himself up, dusts himself up, and launches out again and again and again. The Israelites' wilderness experience is about like a person going to New Haven to find a haven from life and winding up getting a college education at Yale. This is what is called a serendipity. The classic example is Columbus who set out to find a short route to faraway Cathay, the route to the east, by sailing around the world to the west. He completely failed in his goal. But in the process, he discovered a new world. The word is serendipity. In the 18th century, there lived an English writer named Horace Walpole. He tells how an old Persian fairy tale had made a profound impression on his life. It had to do with the three princes of Serendip. Serendip was the ancient name for Ceylon, which in our lifetime has since been changed to Sri Lanka. These three young noblemen of Serendip, while traveling through the world, rarely found the treasures they were looking for. It continually ran into other treasures equally great, or even greater, which they were not seeking. And looking for one thing, they found something else. So it dawned on them that this was one of life's sly and wonderful tricks. It gave them a slant on life that enabled them to be positive and optimistic about all things. And for them, every day resulted in a new and thrilling experience. Even though their goals sometimes eluded them, they were more than rewarded with the wayside discoveries, the serendipities. So Walpole coined the word serendipity. 
is defined as the discovery of goals which you stumble into, or which stumble into you, while you're on a search for altogether different goals. If you search through your life, through your experience, your memory, you'll probably find many serendipities that you've never referred to in that way. A good example of this, a boy in Decatur, Illinois, answered an ad in a magazine ordering, ordering a book about photography, a field in which he was very much interested. But the publisher made a mistake and sent him a book on ventriloquism. He could have been angry and sent the book back with a critical note, but he had a very inquisitive mind. So he read the book, became fascinated with the subject of ventriloquism. He began practicing the art of throwing his voice, and he became very good at it. He created a wooden dummy to whom at one time more people listened on a Sunday evening than anyone in history. It was Charlie McCarthy. So Edgar Bergen turned a mistake into a lifelong opportunity. This is a serendipity. Also, it may be an experience in which you may be part of a special outworking for someone else. There's a story told by Aulus Gallius reporting that a slave who ran away from a cruel taskmaster in Africa took refuge in a cave. Hiding in the half-dark, dank surroundings, the slave was thanking his lucky stars for his escape when a lion suddenly appeared in the cave's entrance. The lion crouched and slowly entered the cave, and the slave retreated until he stood with his back against the wall, paralyzed with fear. The lion paused before him, crouching, held up his right paw. He was bruised and bleeding, and it was a thorn. The slave, who was named Androcles, gathered up his courage and extracted the thorn with great care, and the lion gratefully licked his helper's hand and departed. Three years later, in Rome, Androcles, who had now become a Christian, was seized by Roman persecutors in order to renounce his faith. He refused and was sentenced to fight a lion in the Roman arena, which normally meant sudden death. But the lion which had been brought from the African wells was the same one Androcles had befriended. It recognized its benefactor. Instead of attacking him, showered him with such affection that Androcles was granted his freedom. George Bernard Shaw wrote a play on the theme, his classic Androcles and the Lion. Now, what is this process of serendipity? Is it a matter of chance, just a lucky break, and perhaps even some capricious will of God? It is my conviction this is a basic fundamental principle an omniactive force that can be harnessed. And until we understand this, we miss one of the great factors of, of this important insight of truth. It is what I call the God spell. It's like the pull of the sun on the sunflower, a force that is very much a part of nature itself. Science has come to a new awareness of a force that contrasts the power of entropy. It is centropy, the tendency of all things toward growth, toward healing, toward a higher and higher level of specialization. Now, entropy, for those of you who remember your high school or college physics, is the view of the universe and life within it as winding down, running out, aging, and deteriorating. Many of you remember the study of astronomy and astrophysics, the idea that the universe is constantly running down, falling apart, as contrasted with a new insight of entropy, which indicates the universe is expanding, growing, constantly evolving, outward. There's still a conflict between science in this area. 
But as to entropy, Al Cap has a classic illustration in his character, which some of you may remember, Joe Bitfisk, the little character with, dressed in black and with a funny little black hat. Wherever he walked, there was a black cloud over his head. Wherever he goes, things come to misfortune. Where he is, it always rains or storms. Machines always break down. Hens don't lay. Weapons misfire. Everything goes wrong when Joe Bitfisk is around. He represents the force of entropy. The concept of entropy has had a profound influence on the general attitude toward life, which we've all embraced in some way in our growing up. Just suppose that with every falling of the leaves, the life of a tree were ended. Suppose that it were not within the body the power to renew and heal itself. That with every cut of the finger or bruise of the knee, our lifespan would thus be shortened. Suppose that with every sorrow, every discouragement and despair, faith and hope were lost, never to return. It's difficult to even imagine, isn't it? Why? Because there is an intuitive awareness in us all of something dynamic within us that is eternally seeking to flow forth as our good. It is because of this awareness that, as the writer says, hope springs eternal in the human breast. Why every person longs for the heights and cannot ever really settle for anything less than perfection. It is the power of life to renew itself, the power by which every person can rise out of the ashes of defeat and go on to do something more. Now, this, that this potential of good does not always manifest out of our human challenges in no way indicates there's any lack in the universe. It is simply that we have fallen asleep to the inner flow. But you see, you can never be separated from the universe or its transcendent laws. You're in it, and it's in you. You may experience illness, but there's always an allness within the illness. You may come to a point of insufficiency, but you're still experiencing it within the milieu of all sufficiency. You may be fired from a job, but there's no way that you can ever be fired from the universe. This is a very important realization. Now, creative serendipity is the positive use of the universal trend toward wholeness and order. It is making practical the process of all things work together for good. When you commit yourself to work with creative serendipity, you have the feeling that you have something working in you, something going for you, someone on your side, as it were. You will project a positive energy flow that will light your way. You will have the faith to believe, really believe, that all things are working together for your good. And it will enable you to look back over your life up to now and to see that every happening played an important part in unfolding the pattern of your soul's growth. And it will appear for all the world as if the path you traveled was the only possible way you could take to reach the desired end. This is not a case of predestination. It is rather a predisposition to grow through the exigencies of life. When you reflect on something or some chain of events that has happened and see how it has turned out well, how it has been a wonderful manifestation of things working together for good, you can be grateful for the serendipity but your insight and truth can enable you to go beyond that. You can prepare yourself every day by affirming, this day all things are working for good, like the three princes of serendip. It'll give you a marvelous attitude toward life, of expectancy, of optimism, projecting a consciousness that will attract good things to you. This day, all things are working together for good. This is creative serendipity. It's tapping into the creative process of the universe to actually generate a serendipitous energy. 
We're saying that often you can see how things have worked together for good. We're also saying that you can project this force into a creative serendipitous process which attracts onto you the good that potentially is yours. Actually draws it to you in a very exciting and wonderful way. You see, the I am of me is changeless and eternal, forever one with the universal flow. But I must know that I am. It will always be according to my faith. All things are possible to them that believe, for the I am of me is forever rooted in the all things of the universe. And by means of the transcendent process within, the same universe of all things is involved in the realization all things work together for good. Of course, we all long for happiness and fulfillment and peace. But these can only be realized through self-discipline and growth and overcoming. It's not sufficient. Just casually expect a serendipity by saying, it's all going to work for good, it's all going to work for good. Because you see, it's not just going through the experiences of life, spouting Pollyanna platitudes. It's growing through them. Right where you are, whatever you may be experiencing, with its heartache and pain and even its long-range implications of misfortune, it can be a blessing. It can become an opportunity through which you can grow and go on to success if you know it and project it in faith. But you have to decide whether you're merely going to make the best of things, shrug your shoulders and say, well, what are you going to do? That's life for you. And just go through it in resignation. Whether you're going to apply the process of creative serendipity and dig into your inner potential and draw on limitless reserves of spirit within. It can be, if you will it, an unfolding experience that will work for your highest good. It can be if you will it, if you decree it, if you expect it. And we can see an evidence of creative serendipity in the life experience of Jesus. Probably the weakest point in Bible-based religion of Christian tradition has been the influence of the immortal words of Jesus from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In your exposure to Christianity, if you're honest, hasn't this disturbed you just a little bit? That Jesus, supposedly the best of all persons, God's only son, as we've been told, was forsaken by God, that he could even think that he would be forsaken? This incident alone has probably kept more reasonable people from taking seriously the Christian faith than any other. Because it is logical to assume Either God turned his back on, quote, his only begotten son, unquote, which is a pretty limited kind of God, or that Jesus thought he did, which evidences a shallow sort of faith. Now we know this was a faulty translation of the Hebrew, the words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which improperly translated means, my God, my God, for this was I kept. For this was I kept. This is my destiny. In other words, in contemporary parlance, Jesus was saying, I'm right on track. It was his opportunity to achieve mastery. And like Joseph of old, it was a case of they may have intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Drawing on the all things to work together for good principle, it became a perfect example of creative serendipity. So out of this insight, we can see that when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, this was no cry of resignation and hopelessness as we've been taught. It was a cry of victory, implying, I have achieved the goal. The plan has succeeded. The persecutors set out to find a solution to the problem of this Jesus rebel. But instead, through Jesus, 
provided a channel for the transcendent light to flow forth from the cosmos in the form of Jesus' discovery of the Christ indwelling every person. The greatest discovery of all time. It's important to catch this insight, this beautiful interpretation of the scripture, to get the real sense of what Jesus means, what his teaching involves. One man once said to me, for years of my life I had a deep spiritual hunger, but it was never satisfied by the churches I attended or the religions I studied. Then he said, surprising even myself, I was moved in a Christian revival meeting to accept Jesus. I didn't really know what it meant. It was an emotional event and experience, but it was compelling. He said there was a time of elation, but I soon realized that the spiritual hunger deep within me didn't disappear. So I set out to really find and know Jesus. In the course of my quest, he says, I found your book, Discover the Power Within You. I found Jesus in an entirely new light. But most importantly, I discovered the Christ in myself, my own Son of God identity, my very own indwelling channel to God, which is a very real serendipity. He set out to find Jesus. Instead, he found the Christ within. That's one of the most important realizations in our study for truth. When you learn to see experiences from a serendipitous perspective, the all things work together for good attitude. You will never see anything as a mistake or a complete failure. You will know that no one door ever closes, but there's another open. As Shakespeare sings, you'll find tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. When we catch this concept, we will never be satisfied to accept anything that happens, either letting it go or doing the best we can in it. We never accept anything less than knowing that somehow there's an evolution of good in this. Not that this thing in itself is good, but that it can work for good if I get in tune with the universal process, which we call centropy, the upward pull of God, which will enable all things to be resolved into that which is good. You name the experience, the loss of a job, a physical illness, some problem in your relationship with people, no matter what it is. It can be a process working for good if you know it, if you tune in upon this syntropic process of divine upward pull within you, which always works for good if you let it, if you tune in on it. One of the good examples of this is a pianist or an organist playing along, perhaps improvising, suddenly striking a wrong note. It can happen anyway. But with a good improvisational musician, you'll never know there was a mistake. Because when they strike a wrong note, creating a momentary dissonance, the skillful improvisational artist will transpose into a new key and it will seem as if that dissonance was intended. It probably happens often, probably even to our great Paul Trueblood. But the important thing, a person who is well along in his understanding of this truth idea will do the same thing in his experience. He may seem to fall flat on his face in a job, in a relationship, in some difficulty. But always by keeping in tune with the all things work together for good process, it will be resolved into a new chord, into a new pattern. Suddenly we will look back and say, that's just exactly the right thing that happened to me, being fired from a job, realizing that I'm not being fired from the universe, but I'm being fired out of my job into something better, 
So I give thanks that something better is on the way. And I find that something better. And I look back and say, how could I have been so blind? Of course this was the direction I should go. All things work together for good. Yet it's not just simply a matter of interpreting something that has happened. It's creating a, project, project, a projecting force which goes forth and draws to me the things that work together for good. Always. This calls to mind the story of the drunken guest at a lodge in the north of Scotland. I've told this story before. But I think it's so very appropriate. The guest opened a bottle of soda and splashed the contents all over a newly decorated wall. Of course, the host was terribly upset because it left an unsightly splotch from floor to ceiling. So the folks stayed through the weekend and it was very tense in the atmosphere because everyone felt that they'd done something terribly wrong. So the guests eventually all left, feeling the understandable displeasure of the host. One man remained behind. He studied the blotch, meditated on it. Then he went to work on it with crayons and charcoal, and finally with oil paints. He turned the brown stains into brown highland rocks with a cataract pouring over them. Where the stain was deepest, he painted a glorious highland stag leaping into the torrent, pursued by hunters in the background. Thus did Sir Edwin Landseer, the great artist, create a fantastically beautiful mural which brought good out of error and beauty out of ugliness. Now this lodge is a famous landmark with visitors coming from near and far to see Landseer's mural. And the frustratingly hideous blotch on the lodge became its crowning glory. Isn't it amazing? There probably are areas of your life right now where if you're honest with yourself and analytical enough in a positive sense, you can find that some of the most important things in your life, which you now accept as blessings, came to you in some similar way. They've been boosted by a kick in the pants, but you're facing the right direction. Something wonderful has come in some way as a result of some chance occurrence or some chance meeting with someone that has changed your whole life. Recognize this because it's one of the positive ways of accepting your blessings in life. But see it as a positive force. It can go forth before you and actually transfer, translate things from negative to positive and bring into your life the things that are going to work for the highest good of your unfoldment. So remember, looking backward at what has already transpired, looking forward to the decisions and choices of the future, get into a consciousness of creative serendipity by knowing all things work together for good. Not to make it so, but to establish your faith on the high level of the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I invite you to be still with me for a moment now. Get involved in an experience of imagery. First of all, remember the Chinese navigational process. The compass composed of five points, north and south and east and west, and where you are. As the voice said to Abraham, look up from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. All the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it. Implied in that experience is a realization that Abraham knew where he was. So you could look south or north or east or west from where he was. You could relate easily to the dynamic flow of life, which would bring all the things that you desire. To right where you are, 
Look southward, northward, eastward, and westward. Give thanks that all things work for good. All things work for good. Get the vision now of all the things of your life, things that have come to you already and things that are still unfolding for you in the future. You're a part of this, all things work to a good process. Say to yourself, I'm in tune with this divine flow and all things work together for good. See yourself going from this place today into the life of your world out there. See yourself taking steps, acting, serving, creating, in a way that attunes you to the divine flow of your own good. Have faith that it goes beyond your conscious ability and your experience. It touches upon one of the deep wellsprings of life in the universal sense. The force of entropy, of syntropy, the upward pull of the divine within your life, leading you into higher and higher avenues of expression, of fulfillment, of healing. All things work together for good. See yourself always centered in the very middle of the compass. As the voice said to Abraham, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward, southward, eastward, and westward. And you're in tune with the divine flow. And all the land which you see, all the success and achievement that you envision, all the healing and overcoming that you imagine, shall be yours. All things work together for good. And have faith. This divine process is always, always active in your life. Wherever you are, whatever you do, whatever you experience, you're always in the center of the circle. And all things work together for good if you believe it, if you decree it, if you keep yourself in tune with it. So for a moment, look to those areas of your life where you have something that you have let yourself believe is terrible. Some tragedy, some loss, some confusion, some heartache, some financial depravity. And lift up your eyes above and beyond that experience and be willing to declare and decree and believe all things work together for good. And out of that point of darkness, out of that difficulty, out of that confusion, shall come something wonderful, something beautiful. Like the splotch on the wall that was transformed into a thing of beauty, the dark point of your life may become the step, stepping stone to your crowning glory. Have faith. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free.
Så vær